0: It's good to see you all, really good to see you all. Okay, um, okay, we're going to learn a little, as I said, we're going to learn a little what I'd like to do. We're going to be saying the Yud Gimel Midos, Hashem Hashem Kel Racham Echanun quite a few times over the next uh, couple of months. Um, next month, really, I don't know how many times, I wish someone would count, but quite a few times. And so what I'd like to do really is just spend a couple of minutes right now just giving us a better understanding of what that fila actually is. What are we saying? As we're gonna be saying it, we're gonna be yelling it, we're gonna be singing it, What is it? What is it all about? Um, So my goal over the next couple of minutes is just to give us a little bit of context so we could properly understand that tefillah, so that we could not only understand it, but say it properly. And as we'll see, uh, not just say it properly, but emulate it properly as well. So before we do so, I want to give just the context of this tefillah. This tefillah is actually the only tefillah that I'm aware of that is penned, that is authored by God, by Hashem. Most tefillahs are authored by man. They are us. Human beings trying to convey our feelings towards Hashem. Over here, interestingly enough, Hashem actually tells us what to say. And the backstory is as follows. After the Chetai Egel, after the sin of the golden calf, we find the Jewish people are on the brink of extinction. God said he is going to destroy them based on their sins. And as we know, Moshe pleads his case, and he begs from God to forgive the Jewish people, and he is successful. But the way he does so, what does he invoke when he does so? He invokes two things. One is he says, "Lama Yamru Hagayim?" What will the nation say? It's going to be a chil will be a desecration of God's name. It doesn't look good, God. And the second thing that he does, the second thing that he says, he says, "Remember Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. Remember the forefathers." Those are the two things he invokes, and God says, "Great, you did good. You did a great job." But God says, according to the Midrashic, read, it's not always going to work sometimes it wouldn't necessarily be a desecration of God's name if the Jewish people get punished. They may not be worthy of getting saved, and therefore when they get punished, that's not necessarily a desecration of God's name. And further, an interesting idea which we don't have the time to unpack, but there is this notion that the schus avos, the merit of our forefathers, could at one point, and the Talmud tells us already, could be done. That we could at some point no longer invoke the merit of our forefathers. We've used that bank account up. There's nothing to draw upon. And therefore, God says, if you're going to make mistakes, and guess what? You're going to make mistakes, you need to do something different. And Hashem tells him, I want to teach you some, a new tefillah, a new way to connect to me. And what is it? That is the Yud Gimel Midos, the words of Hashem Hashem Kel Rachel Mechanun. Now, God says, you say these words and I'll forgive you. And you read a passage like that and you wonder to yourself, what is this, like some magic potion? All you have to do is say Hashem, Hashem, Racham Achanun, and poof, just like that Hashem forgives us. Of course, it's not that simple. And if you look at the term that is used in the Talmud, in the Gemara, it doesn't actually say you should say these words, but rather it says, "Kain ta'asu. You should do these words. In other words, it is a fila, it is an acknowledgement of what and Hashem represents. These midos, these characteristics, which we're going to discuss in a moment, represent Hashem and the way Elisi interacts with the world. But we are taught not just to say them and not just to understand Hashem, but it's critical that we also emulate them. That we try in our own way to incorporate these different midos into our own life. And so what I'd like to do, and I don't even know, what pay- I have a different uh, slicho than you do, but if you want to just follow along, we're going to go through them one by one. On mine, it's on page 20. I don't know. Someone want to call out a page? Because 14. fourteen. Thank you. We're on page fourteen. So the bold words of Hashem, Hashem Kol Rakhm. Let's go through them. Let's learn what they are, and let's see what this tefillah is. And again, we're going to do two things. One, it helps us understand God, which is critical. Its important. B, it gives us marching orders what we need to do. And especially during this time of year, what are the midos, what are the characteristics that we need to be focusing on? So I'm actually going to skip the first two words of Hashem Hashem. We're going to come back to them shortly, but let's begin with the next words of Kel, Rachum, V'chanun. What is the word Rachum? V'chanun So over here. They, they translate compassionate and gracious. Those words are almost synonyms. What is the difference between Rachum, compassionate, and gracious? They seem to be the same thing, but our sages explain that they're actually quite different. Rachum, compassion, is when we see someone in need. We're walking down the street, we see someone fall down, we help them, pick them up. If someone loses a loved one, we go pay a shiva call. If someone is in need, and we are compassionate, right? We don't want to be cold-hearted. Compassion is the opposite of being cold-hearted. We're looking at, we're responding to a need. Chanun, our sages explain, is that even when there is no apparent need, we still go ahead and we look out for people right? Compassion is responding to an overt need, something which is in our face, and chanun, graciousness, is when we don't necessarily see that need, and it's a critical idea, because it's great to be there for people when they need you, but a real friend, or even more importantly a real mensch, is someone who checks in on people, even when they're not in distress, or at least when they're not, apparently in distress. You want a perfect example of this? Is when someone loses a loved one. When someone, heaven forbid, loses a loved one, during Shiva... Everyone's there. Of course, appropriately, that's what we're supposed to do. But what about a month later? What about a year later? When it's not as apparent, when it's not as obvious, but guess what? Anyone who's been in that experience before knows how much pain they're still in. And at that moment, they're incredibly lonely. Someone who is a rachum is someone who is able to reach out to someone when there's an apparent need. Chanun is learning to look for the people who still need us to look for them as well. Okay, so that's rachum v'chanun, to try to recognize that God does this to us, but also to emulate it, to not just look around and respond, but also to think a little bit proactively about the people that could use our compassion, our graciousness as well. Now, I skipped a word, and that is the word Kale. Kale rachum v'chanun. The word Kale typically is a connotation of strength something which, uh, which doesn't seem to fit when we think of the 13 attributes of compassion, right? The third amidos or rachamim. It would seem strength would seem to be the opposite of love. Strength doesn't seem to fit in love, but the truth is that's a terrible misunderstanding because to properly have a relationship, you need an incredible amount of strength. Love is as tough as nails, right? Because when you need to be there for someone, even when they change, even when they're going through difficulties, even when they make terrible mistakes, love, compassion begins with softness, but it's maintained with strength. So when we think about the fact that Hashem is loving to us, oftentimes, very often, we're not deserving, and we recognize there's a certain strength of character, so to speak, that God is conveying to us, and we need to be able to find that within ourselves, within our relationships, not just to, as soon as things get difficult, to run for the hills, but instead to have the sense of kale, a sense of strength, to be able to be there for those who need us. Okay, we continue, and the notion of God being slow to anger, the Mestilas, Yisharim, uh, writes that, in truth, when we think about it, you know, God put us in this world. We were not deserving of being put in this world. God gave us a gift called life, and he also gave us an instruction manual. It's called the Torah. It's called the mitzvot. And as soon as we mess up, what should happen? The lightning bolt from heaven should come and zap us and flick us out of this world. Right at the end of the day, do we deserve to be here Anytime we said no? We messed up. God said, this is, you want to come here? Sure. Here are the rules we mess up, we mess up, God should be able to get rid of us. Erech means that God has patience. He doesn't punish us immediately. He gives us time. And of course, we if we're standing here right now, by, by definition, we're human. We have made mistakes. We are undeserving of being here. The only reason we're here is because God is patient. And it begs the question for us to ask ourselves, the simple question of how patient are we with other people? We expect people to be Unbelievably patient with us, how patient are we with others? Very often it doesn't go in the opposite direction. Are we patient? Do we allow people to make mistakes and turn the other way and to come back to things at a later time? That is what Erech is, that's how Hashem acts to us, and that's the way we need to act to Him. V'rav Chesed, God is abundant in kindness. What exactly does this mean? The Gemara explains that God is Mateklape Chesed. Now, what this means is that when there is a, when things are even, if God were to theoretically see us and things are even, God tilts the scale towards chesed, towards kindness. And at first glance, this doesn't seem to be quite fair, right? That doesn't seem to be justice, right? Is, Is the judge allowed to go ahead and touch the scale? That doesn't seem right. What does it mean that God tilts the scale for kindness? And so all the commentators explain that the truth is there are different ways that God could perceive us. You know, it could be the same action but depends on the framework, depends on how he wants to look at us, that would change the judgment entirely. It doesn't mean literally that God is touching the scale, but rather means that God chooses to see us in a different land. I want to share with you a story. I shared this with some of you a couple of weeks ago, so I apologize for the, for the repeats. Uh, it's a little bit of an embarrassing story, uh, but I'll share it nonetheless. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month or two ago, I apologize for the repetition, uh, but it brings this point across. I was driving a couple of blocks from here, I think it was Strathmore, it's a turn from Strathmore onto Taney. Okay, it's a bit of a hard turn. You gotta look really, stretch your neck a little bit both ways. And I thought I'd look both ways before I made the turn, um, but I missed a car coming quite quickly. And I was turning, and it was completely my mistake. This car was coming flying this way, you know, coming down the, down the streets and I, I didn't see them, whatever it is, I messed up. I didn't see them, I was a little distracted, I guess. And I almost hit them. And I slam on the brakes, and I'm like right in front of their window, and I see their face starting to like blow up, and they're like, oh! And then they recognize me and I was like hi it was a very awkward moment for me um, but the truth is let's, let's break that down for a second right I messed up I did something terribly dangerous and I should have been more careful when driving it was the same action had I been a stranger they would have done I don't know what right but they knew me and whatever. All of a sudden, like, oh, he probably was coming from a funeral. I don't know what story they came up with in their head. But all of a sudden, you know, like, they were the meek one. They're, like, waving at me. I'm, right? It's the same action. But you, it depends on how you perceive the person that you are judging. Right? That's what it means, that God sees us in a positive light. That God, right? he knows what we did. But instead of judging us as a bad person, therefore doing bad things, says, you're an amazing person. You made a mistake. Right? That's the way, that's what V'Rav Chesed means. We're asking Hashem in that moment to see us in a positive light. Right? And when, because when we're seen in a positive light, then obviously the judgment comes out in a much more favorable fashion. But obviously that demands of us to see others in a positive light. Right? We're constantly making judgments. Every interaction we have with others, we don't call it judgment, but we're making judgments. And we have to ask ourselves, are we seeing people in a positive light or in a negative light? Viraf Chesed, we need to be full of compassion, full of seeing people in the most positive light. And of course, it's not just other people. And quite often, the reason we don't judge other people favorably is because we often judge ourselves in a negative fashion. Rav Chesed has to work internally as well. We have to see ourselves in a positive fashion as well. Okay, let's go a little bit further. MS, Rav Chesed, that God is full of truth. The notion of truth in this context would seem to be not so much about uh, objectivity, but rather about consistency. The notion of MS is something which is everlasting. And the notion is that we come back every single Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, despite the fact that we've made so many terrible mistakes, but God's still here waiting for us. God is consistent. We, we, the notion is that, that even though we, again, we've made, God is always ready to forgive us. And again, that's something that we need to incorporate into our own being. There are times... When people are not deserving of forgiveness. There are times when a person could, heaven forbid, be in an abusive relationship, etc. And those are the exceptional cases. But more often than not, more often than not, we need to be there and be consistent and ready and be MS, be MS, not in the sense of being truthful, but in the sense that we are, we are a rock. We're always there. We are ready to forgive. We are ready, just like we want God to welcome us back every year. We want to welcome our loved ones, the people in in our lives, and be able to be there for them in a consistent fashion. Okay. Notes uh, are lafim. Shem remembers the deeds of our ancestors for, remembers kindness, remembers good deeds for thousands of years. And, uh, you know, again, we remember, you know, when you think about, uh, you know, people, we expect people to remember our good deeds uh, forever, and uh, we expect them to forget our mistakes. Uh, obviously it doesn't work that way. We need to remember, right? When someone does something kind to us, we need to think about how much good they've done to us and to constantly never forget that and to constantly come back to that. You know, I just saw like a beautiful, beautiful thing that was, that was done. It's such a small, but it's such a simple thing. Like how often, like uh, um, OU, um, what's it called? All, all Parsha or All, all Daff, they have these like uh, apps where basically people do give shiurim, right? Basically they basically go into online. I don't know if you've listened to online classes, right? You listen to online classes and that's it. There's some rabbi giving a class, some educator giving a class and that's it. And then, end of the year, they send out this email to anyone who's ever listened to class and says, Send a Shanatovah to anyone who you've listened to their classes that year. To say that you're grateful, to thank them. Oh, I was like, I listened last, you know, sukh his time. No, the point is that how often, how long do we hold on to someone else's kindness? No, Tir chestal God holds on to our kindnesses forever. Right? We need to also hold on to other people's kindness, to see people and be grateful for the small things that they've done for us that we so easily forget. We need to hold on to that. We need to hold on to that. Okay. No say avon pesha vechata, that God is literally holds on to our sins. Avon, pesha, chata are different three levels of sin, uh, knowingly, out of spite, mistakes. But the idea is that God holds on to our sins. What does this mean to hold on to our sins? There are different ways of understanding this. Um... But one way, which I think is very relevant for us in terms of our own life, is that when God does punish us, it's not immediate. It is almost never at the moment, which is such a critical and important idea when we think about sometimes the people that there are people that we need to give feedback to people who have wronged us and we need to let them know it's important. It's important not to hold on to it forever. But it's, you know, the the only time you should never, ever give feedback unless you're in danger is immediately. Right? When you're wronged, again, unless you're in danger, when you're wronged, it is never appropriate, it not not appropriate, but it's never a good idea to give that feedback, to say, hey, this is bad immediately because usually our emotions, our blood pressure, everything is out the roof. Our ability to think things properly and, and do so in a compassionate fashion is completely shot. No se avon v'fesh God holds on to these sins. Yes, God sometimes has to punish us, but it's never immediate or it's almost never immediate. No se. He carries these things. Okay. Vinake and God cleans us. What does it mean that God cleans us? Um, the commentators explain that this is not just an, a verb that God cleans us, but God is, welcomes us in. It's like God has a car wash. It's called Rosh Hashanah Kippur. And he begs us to come. He wants us to be clean. God is, makes himself vulnerable, so to speak, to us. And says, hey, I want you. I want you to become close to me, right? How often do we do that to others? There are people who wronged us. And we sit around and we, turn our, you know, we, we clench our fists and we wait for them to forgive us. Do we give people the opportunity to ask for forgiveness from us. There are people who need to apologize to us, but sometimes we make it so difficult, we're so standoffish, that it's impossible for them to ask for forgiveness. Vinakeh is someone who is a cleaner, someone who is constantly begging, yearning for people to come and ask them for forgiveness. Okay? Let's go back to the opening words of Hashem, Hashem, and hear Chazal teach us. It's funny, you know, all these words are different words. What does it mean, Hashem, Hashem? Right? It's the same word. What, so, why, these are different attributes. Why over here with this word, is it the same word twice? Is the like a Gemara explains that Hashem is the same Hashem both before and after we sin. Hashem, we think we have a relate normally with most human beings we have a relationship, when we do something terribly wrong, then unfortunately, the relationship starts to unravel. And even if we make amends, it's quite hard to get back to that original place. The word Hashem, Hashem, means it's the same exact, when we do tshuva properly, Hashem brings us back, He completely, completely forgives us. And there's a beautiful story, which I want to finish with, and that is, uh, there was a teenager in the Chaim Berlin Yeshiva, New York, uh, great Yeshiva, and this student wasn't exactly the greatest of students, and he uh, used to go ahead and steal or borrow, one of his classmates' cars during class, without his classmates' knowledge. Now one day, this classmate's parents drive by this school, drive by Chaimberlin, and see that their son's car is not there. So they ask their son, you know, it's the middle of Seder, it's the middle of class, what's going on? They say, what are you talking about? I'm in class. And basically, they finally find out that this Nunnik, this, this guy, went ahead and was stealing this guy's car on a regular basis. And so the family who owned this car, was, were, they were big donors the Chaim Berlin Yeshiva. They called the Hanhala. They called the, the administration. They basically wanted to throw this. And they said, you got to throw this kid out. He's stealing my son's car. And the Rosh Yeshiva at the time of Chaim Segal said, no, 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 no. We're not going to do this. This kid has value, potential. We're not going to throw the kid out. Fine. Ultimately, he wins the argument. Okay? I don't know how that impacted the, the, the philanthropy of this family. Ultimately, he wins the argument. He keeps the kid in the Yeshiva. And a few weeks later, Rav Segal sees this boy in the hallway takes his keys out of his pocket, he throws it to the boy, he says, hey, I left my safer, I left my book in my car, do you mind going to get it for me? Right, and at that moment, what Rav Segal was doing was telling the kid, I believe in you, I believe that you could make complete amends, I believe that you could be a completely different person, I have faith in you. Yes, it's true, you used to steal that car all the time, but I believe that you could become someone totally different. I believe that you could completely erase the past and completely rebuild yourself, renew yourself, make it a completely new identity. That's what it means when we say Hashem, Hashem. That we had a relationship, we could all, if we want, to think back to a time when we felt like we were innocent. Maybe we were a teenager, maybe a young kid, whatever it was, that moment we were innocent and we think we can never go back there with our innocence. No, we can Hashem, Hashem. Hashem welcomes us back to be the exact, have that exact same relationship with him that we did at that moment of innocence and what we're striving for which is so incredibly difficult, is in our human relationships. Maybe there, there are people that we've made mistakes with, that we've grown distant with, but to strive at the very least, to try po- as best as we possibly can to be able to recreate what was. And so again, we're going to say these words over and over and over again. Hashem, Hashem, Erech, and we're going to recognize how loving and how forgiving Hashem is, how many chances He's giving us, and that in and of itself is valuable, but of course, at the same time, what we're trying to do is to emulate Hashem's ways to try to incorporate that into our own being, and that is our goal during this incredibly important season. We're now going to begin slichos. Uh, I want to thank Rav Yaakov Erman for uh, stepping in the last second to lead. We're going to help him out, but uh, let's begin. <coughs>